I worked with her mom at the public library, and so we connected over that. We had some classes together and were friendly. But she knew that I was um, a talented hair braider, and so asked me to braid her hair <laughs> for a Friday night football game. Um, and this activity would take place at lunch. And never one to turn down the opportunity even to do something, uh, never one to turn down the opportunity to do something to make someone like me more, I enthusiastically agreed. <laughs> and I have this vivid memory of the first time I approached her in the cafeteria. I'd been so happy and quick to agree to the task, but as lunch approached, I felt quite nervous to leave the comfort of the space that I had typically occupied during that time. From the outside, at the time, it might have, like, I, I really didn't have much to be concerned about in high school. I had a table of friends that I ate with. We were unbothered by the golden people, as Glenna Doyle calls them, the tables full of people that many long to belong to, um, tables where I was headed to play stylist that day. I was never at any risk of being beaten up or bullied. I know that I was quite blessed in that, that uh, area. I felt like I was on good terms with pretty much everyone that I went to school with. In many ways, my adolescence was a challenge, but this was not really one of them. And yet, the cafeteria this day was still a place where I could not feel settled. And unfortunately, this story doesn't end with me being embraced and accepted by the golden people and being able to realize that we can all be friends even though we're all very different. Instead, I recall what could only be described as a sneer <laughs> from the face of one specific girl and obvious confusion on the faces of everyone else at the table. Confusion isn't necessarily bad, I'm confused all the time, but the clear expression <laughs> paired with this very one negative reaction um, because of my presence made me feel like they were clearly displeased by it and then also made me realize that I think I had been wrong the whole time when I thought I was a person that just got along with everybody. I did not belong at this table. <laughs> and I always knew that I was not a part of a particular group or clique or whatever you called it, but I also thought that me and my friends existed maybe outside of that structure because we in class were able to talk to anyone. We didn't have issues. But in the cafeteria that day, I realized I was wrong. Or maybe I just finally accepted I was wrong. My body had been trying to tell me all morning, like, you are going to do something that is scary. There were laws in the way the cafeteria worked, and me and my friend broke them. And this, in retrospect, feels like a pretty silly example <laughs> of how important it is to care for others by inviting them in to the table, by making room. But I felt horrible that day and unwanted the passage from Luke that we're reading today is um, very familiar and will reiterate a message that we've come to know well, I think, that our responsibility is to invite the other, those that we might not understand to the table, into the kingdom. But also, there's some more, I think, um, about it that I'll admit was and continues to be a struggle for me. So we're going to read from Luke 5 today. Um, if you'd like to follow along, it's verses 12 through 16 and then 27 through 32, but I'll be reading from the First Nations version, so um, it might be easier to just listen. 
While he was in one of these villages, a man, he is uh, Jesus, creator sets free, a man with a skin disease all over his body came to creator sets free. He humbled himself, bowed down, and pleaded with him, honored one, he cried, if you want to, you can heal and cleanse me. Creator sets free, stirred with compassion, reached out and touched the man. I want to, he said. Be cleansed. And right away the disease left him and he was healed. Creator sets free, sent him away at once. Tell no one, he said. Go and show yourself to a holy man and have him perform the cleansing ceremony given to us by the lawgiver drawn from the water. Who is Moses? To show the holy man what the great spirit has done for you. Tribal law instructed that a person healed of a skin disease must be pronounced ceremonially clean by a holy man. The reputation of Creator Sets Free began to grow among the people as word about him spread. The crowds came from everywhere to hear him speak and be healed of their sicknesses. But he often left the crowds and went out to the wilderness to pray. And then we're going to skip to verse 27. After this, he taught again by the lake shore. As he walked by, he saw a tribal tax collector sitting at his tax booth. And then there's a, a little note that helps us understand um, what's happening here. Tribal tax collectors were often tribal members who were given the right to collect taxes for the people of iron, Romans. They could force their own people under the threat of violence to pay them. To make a living, they would take more than what the people of iron required. But many of them became greedy and took even more than they were permitted. They were hated and looked down on by the people. The name of this tribal tax collector was He Brings Together Levi. Creator Sets Free went to him and said, Come walk the road with me. He got up from his booth, left it all behind, and began to walk the road with him. He Brings Together hosted a great feast for Creator Sets Free. He invited all his friends to come, tribal tax collectors, along with other outcasts were sitting at about the table with Creator Sets Free. The separated ones, Pharisees, called certain people outcasts. They used their strict interpretation of their tribal law as a way to point them out. These outcasts were not permitted to enter the gathering houses. They were looked down on and despised by the separated ones. Outcasts included tribal tax collectors, prostitutes, people who drank too much, ones with diseases that made them ceremonially unclean, and anyone who was not a member of the tribes of wrestles with Creator, Israel. When the separated ones and the scroll keepers saw Creator sets free eating with outcasts, they complained to his followers, saying, Why does your wisdom keeper keep company with tribal tax collectors and outcasts? Creator sets free overheard them and said, People who are well do not need medicine. I have not come for the ones with good hearts. No, I have come to help the outcasts find the path back home again. This is the word of the Lord. So in this passage, the first passage, um, verse, starting in verse 12, we see Jesus doing what Jesus does best, which is the exact opposite of what should be expected at the time or what would have kept him um, at a low profile and safe. Jesus reaches out and touches a man suffering with leprosy someone that would have been cast out for their affliction. And I think the most important thing to pay attention to in that passage, particularly um, as I was reading it this week, 
is the part where the man says, if you want to heal me, and Jesus responds, I want to. And like the elementary English teacher in me like noticed that exclamation point and felt like that was a very important addition <laughs> in the First Nations version. Because the Greek word that is translated to want to here or choose to in NRSV or willing to in other translations, thalo, is a word that has some energy behind it in the Greek. It can be translated also to deeply desire. Jesus wants to heal this man, really wants to heal him, wants, to know, wants the man to know that he belongs. And while Jesus instructs the man to follow the law in the passage of this text, it seems to be a strategic move to me, like he's sending a little warning to the empire of what's to come. The disruption of empire, a kingdom that offers miracles of healing simply because the Christ wants to heal people. And that is all very important. It's also something that has felt kind of like um, that we here have talked about at length. And I think we will probably talk about it a lot more. Uh, the idea that Jesus' life is an illustration for how the enfleshed Christ makes the kingdom more accessible to everyone is not really revolutionary, but it also is. And it still feels like that message will be one that we simply need reminding of. And so I'm going to keep that in mind while we look at the second message. And I have to be honest that this week I wished um, the scripture stopped with the first passage. <laughs> uh, the next one is really hard for me. Um, a few years ago, I taught on the second passage of scripture and chickened out at something that I was feeling at the time uh, because it like alarmed me and scared me, and I was like, mm, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> In verses... 27 through 32, we see Jesus dining with a large group of people who we learn are people that wouldn't have been invited to any such gathering held by the separated ones. Levi, or he brings together, is kind of spotlighted from the beginning of this passage, and it's his feast that he attends with, with Jesus. And the thing about Levi is that he is a man that's not outcast because of a part of his identity, He's a person that is outcast because of his actions, behavior. Levi has done harm. And I'm in the process of doing my own taxes right now, so like as I was reading about Levi, I was like, you're Levi. <laughs> the collection at the table includes those that are shunned because of who they are, like the man with leprosy those that are ceremonially unclean. And we understand that they are there because of the first passage. Jesus wants them there. And then there are those that have taken roles that push them to the margins. But even when I think of those people, it's still pretty easy for me to understand those invitations, the sex workers, the ones that drank too much. And maybe that's because I spend all day, every day of the week with folks that have found themselves um, in those lives or because of the family of origin that I come from, um, empathy for folks in that, um, that space is not as hard for me um, in this passage. I'm, I find myself glad that they're there. But Levi still, <laughs> Levi is hard for me. He doesn't seem to fit the same profile as the others. But he's there and it's his feast, and here is where I confess 
myself stuck sometimes because I do not want him there. I do not deeply desire his presence in the way Christ illustrates for us. I even find myself angry that he's there and I feel betrayed. And it's because of the pain, I think, and those feelings, I have felt afraid to suggest what I think the lesson of this passage is, is that when we say everyone is invited to the kingdom, it really does mean everyone. <laughs> and I have a hard time with that a lot of the times. Even the ones that hurt us. And there is a part of me that is just not ready for that. Beyond my own discomfort contributing to the fear of interpreting the text this way, I think one of the other reasons that I struggle with that is because of the way it's contributed to an unhealthy understanding of grace and forgiveness that has led to a lot of trauma historically. Many have experienced harm from another person and have been told by their church leaders that the Christian response is to forgive and reconcile, which we know is not only just not always possible, um, that can be even more harmful when it's assumed that is just the easy task and doesn't require an incredible amount of work by both parties. And this text reminds me of the people that I personally don't want at the table when I get to sit with Jesus one day, the ones that still cause my chest to get tight and my stress responses to kick in, it makes me think of the people that my patients tell me about through the week that have hurt them beyond measure. And it makes me wonder if anyone at that gathering felt that way about Levi. So here is where I land in this moment, um, which I know might change in three hours or three days or three years. Um, but this week I couldn't ignore the fact that while I am a pastor, I'm also a therapist. And as a therapist, I believe that all of my patients are worthy of dignity and care and have promised by taking that role to always treat them with unconditional positive regard. Even the ones that I know have done bad things. This contributes to what I believe is an undeniable truth for us, that Levi belongs at that table. All of the Levi's belong at that table. When Jesus approached Levi and left, and he left his booth, he accepted his place at the table. But so do all the people that Levi harmed belong there too. And there is an element of this story that reminds, requires me, I think, to accept the possibility and um, recognize that I am someone's Levi, <laughs> that my presence at the table would be challenging for another person. but I think it can't actually be like the table if we're all sitting there doubting that we are actually welcomed. And perhaps one day in this kingdom that we pray and work to come, we will want to be, want each other to be there. We'll even be able to sit next to each other. But we, I don't think, are there yet and still have a lot of work to do. And two things came to mind when I thought about how that might look. And the first, this is like the part where it feels like prescriptive. <laughs> um, yeah, 
And I, I don't know how to change that, but it just did. The first thing I think we have to do is attend to our own healing in this moment. I tell patients every day that trauma is the most unfair thing in the world. Not just because a terrible thing or things happen to them, but because now they have the responsibility to heal from them. Everyone that Levi has harmed has had the unfair requirement to now figure out what they need to do to heal. But we also know that Levi has to do the work to heal from the harm that he has done and what contributed to his need or desire to do that. The second thing that I thought of was um, another kind of prescriptive idea. But a piece of work might be to find a seat at the table between someone else's Levi and them. For example, if a person has, is sitting at that table and we are aware they have committed the sin of racism, it would not be a caring thing to do to expect that a person of color be the person sitting right next to them at the table and keeping them in conversation. And an act of care for me as a white person, for example, might be the person, might be to sit between the two of them. I might have wanted somebody to sit between me and Sarah Merck, who was the girl that sneered at me when I was 17. <laughs> and in a way, I think my friend who I was braiding her hair kind of did that because I went back every, every week, every Friday, and braided her hair the rest of the season. And that might seem superficial, but also I have felt the healing power of a friend stepping into a space or a conversation and letting me rest from it because they know it wouldn't have been a safe place for me. And I, I wish that were cleaner because it's not easy. Like, I don't want to sit at a table with someone that I know has hurt another person. Like, I don't like it. Even the people that I work with on a daily basis, when I know that has been their story, I sit there sometimes and I don't like it. And I also know that they can't heal unless somebody takes that space. And perhaps by caring for each other this way, we can contribute to the healing in the way that Jesus healed the man in the first story. Both of these things are hard. And today, the solace that I provide or can offer is just that we're not alone in doing them. I think one of the beautiful values of having a family like ours is knowing and trusting that when we have to do hard work like this, we get to do it alongside of others. And that is what is threatening to empire then and now, I think, perhaps our begrudging willingness <laughs> to do the hard thing together. And this week, I just pray that we have the courage and strength and stamina to continue to do it. Amen. Okay. You can